Luigi Zingales got his first lesson in the differences between Italians and Americans soon after he arrived in this country from his native Italy. This lesson came courtesy of some bad weather. When I just arrived in Boston, there was a tornado watch, and they told us to go in the house, tape the windows, and stay inside. And my reaction is, if the mayor of Boston tells me to tape the windows, it must be that his brother sells tape, because that's the typical thing in Italy. And second, if the government tells me to do something, I do the opposite, because generally that's what the, the good way to act. And I was shocked everybody was taking this super seriously. Um, so one of the things that shocked me when I moved to this country is how much people trust the public institutions and how much they trusted the fairness of the system overall. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Robert Smith. Today is Tuesday, July 10th. And on the program today, a conversation with Luigi Zingales, who since that tornado warning has gone on to become an economics professor at the University of Chicago and the author of a book about, among other things, how the U.S., which used to be so different from Italy, is now starting to look more and more like Italy and why that's a bad thing for our economy. Luigi Zingales is someone you don't meet every day. He's a passionate economist. He actually got into the field of economics and fled his own country to practice in that field, all out of the sense of mission. Economics, he believed, if you apply it correctly, can make societies better off, people happier, more prosperous. And to him, there's often this comparison that he makes in his mind between the economy of his adopted country, the economy of the United States, and the country of his birth, Italy. Italy's economy... That's the one to avoid, if I have to give you a cheat sheet here. And for a long time, he believed the U.S. had managed to avoid it. The problem with Italy's economy, says Zingales, is epitomized by one man, Silvio Berlusconi. Berlusconi, many of you may know, was the longtime prime minister of Italy who finally resigned last year. And most of us are probably familiar with the scandals. But let's be honest, you can actually never get enough Berlusconi scandals. So I'll just tick them off very quickly. He's been accused of mafia links, having sex with minors, bribery, corruption, tax fraud. In several cases, he got the legislature to change the statute of limitations on the crimes he was being charged with so that the cases could no longer proceed. Believe me, we could go on and on. But Zingali says Berlusconi is an extreme version of a major underlying problem with the Italian economy. And the problem is two words, crony capitalism. And this is where economic success is due not to how well your product or your service performs in the market, but to the political connections you have. For example, Berlusconi himself owns the three major private television networks. And when he became prime minister, he took effective control of the three major state-run networks as well. Meaning? All the six major TV channels are were controlled by him. And so when he appoints sort of a, a ministry or used to appoint a ministry or, or sort of a, a regulator, uh, these are generally past employees of his or, or close business associates. It's a little hard to imagine someone like Berlusconi becoming president, say, here in the United States. <laughs> you know, imagine somebody would have to become president of all three major networks, right? Somebody would have to become president of NBC, CBS, and ABC combined. And don't forget about Fox. You'd have to be president of Fox, too. And then you would have to somehow be appealing enough to the public that you are elected president of the country. And as Berlusconi did, you then have to appoint your former employees to be heads of the main governmental regulatory agencies like the CBB and the FCC. 
And then, as Berlusconi also did, you'd have to sponsor uh, former executives, your friends, your lawyers, even showgirls you may have dated from your former television shows. You'd have to sponsor them to run for Congress and then get them elected. And then you'd get all of these loyalists now in government to work further to rig the system to benefit your own personal fortune. As a news reporter, I have to say that would be a thrilling vision be a of good America. Story. <laughs> it would be a great story. But as a realist, I have to say it can't happen. There are laws against monopolies. There are all sorts of checks and balances in the U.S. government to make sure that this does not happen here. That is exactly what Luigi Zingales thought. That's why he came to this country, because that couldn't happen here. You know, Americans, as opposed to Italians, generally have faith in their government. Pay our taxes. We listen to our tornado warnings. But recently, in the last decade or so, Zingales has started to notice some positively Italian trends. Americans, he feels, are losing faith in the system as well. Zingales helps run something called the Financial Trust Index, where they do a survey about how everyday Americans feel about the financial system. And as part of that survey in 2008, during the financial crisis, they asked some questions about then-Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson, who you may remember had previously been the head of Goldman Sachs. We asked some questions about, uh, uh, do you uh, think that uh, Hank Paulson, in, in designing his policy response to the crisis, acted in, in the interest of the American people or in the interest of Goldman Sachs? And uh, 20% of the people did not answer, but of the ones who answered, 50% said in the interest of Goldman Sachs. So I think that this is not typical in America. Uh, and and then a few months later, we did a similar question with Obama. And the only difference is that some, I think, 30 percent were saying the unions and other 30 percent say the financial industry. But the majority still did not think that the sort of uh, higher authorities in the country act in the interest of the American people. Now, Luigi Zingales is an economist, and so he's worried about this trend not because he's naive, good government type. He's worried because of the potential economic impact. Italy during the Berlusconi period had one of the lowest growth rates in Europe. And by the time he left office in 2011, it had one of the highest debt-to-GDP ratios as well. And Zingales would argue this isn't a coincidence. When a society loses faith in its governments, it actually distorts the economy. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, if, if you think the system is fair and the only way to get ahead as a company is to make better products and make better services, then that's what you put your money and your resources into. That's what you invest in. But if you feel like the system is fundamentally unfair and that getting better products or services won't actually help you, then it makes no sense to put your money and resources into getting better. It's much more logical to put your money and resources into influencing the government like everyone else is doing. You know, once, once the system is, is not fair, uh, why should I, shouldn't I lobby stronger than the other one? And this is if we go down that path, it's a bit like... Uh, 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 leaving a, a theater in, in flames. If everybody walks slowly and ordinarily, we know that's the best solution. But when people start to rush to the door, why shouldn't I? Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, okay, it's the financial crisis. People are in a bad mood. They're a little jaded. But, you know, America has been here before. We've had a divided country. We've lost faith in our government. Vietnam, the Civil War. We the had an Civil entire, War, big we one. We had an entire Civil War. The idea in America is that we have systems, checks and balances specifically to prevent an American Berlusconi. Yeah, and Zingales agrees with that. But he says there is this path that a country goes down that leads to Berlusconi. Italy went down it. And the U.S. might be taking a few tentative steps down that path as well. 
So here's how it happened in Italy. After World War II, there was a strong communist party in the country. And with any communist party, there is always the threat of nationalization, that if you start a business there or an industry or a factory, that the government will all of a sudden take it away from you and give it to the people. But of course, Italy is trying to recover from the war at this time as well. So they want businesses to invest. And so Zingale says the government does this dance. Businesses are afraid of the communists nationalizing them. So what the government does is it says, yeah, 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 we've made these promises to the people, but don't worry. We've got your back. We'll make it worth your while. I know you're freaked out, but we'll give you the sweetheart deal. And and so there was this attempt to please the crowd on the one hand, but sort of uh, um, uh, also sort of uh, make the business sector understand that uh, uh, they wouldn't actually carry through what they say. Uh, and, and I think this duplicity created all this uh, uh, sort of spiraling. Ah, yes, the spiral. You make a promise to the people, businesses freak out, so then you cut your sweetheart deal with the businesses to keep them investing. But the people aren't stupid, right? They see the sweetheart deals, they hear about them, they know about the bribes, they know about all of this, and so they get even more angry than they were before. And the more that you have this public outrage, the more sort of uh, in order to do business, you need to be to uh, be protected by the government and is, is a sort of vicious circle from which is very difficult to get out. And the ultimate expression of this vicious circle, Silvio Berlusconi, a billionaire oligarch who is also an overspending populist. The human personification of the spiral. Yes. <laughs> so that's Italy. But Zingales is starting to see the very beginnings of this dynamic in the United States, especially right after the financial crisis. Remember, there was that whole thing about AIG. And there was this news report that even after the bailout of AIG, executives at AIG were getting these bonuses that had been previously contracted. And there was this huge sense of outrage in the United States that Congress had to respond to. In, uh, I think it was March 2009, that Congress voted 100% tax on uh, bonuses. Then it, that never became law. But I think that the fact that Congress voted for that is an indication of uh, the response to this polit- populist pressure. Now, maybe you were mad about the bonuses, too. I know lots of people were. But a law like this, says Ingalis, just like in Italy, one of the main things it does, it terrifies business. You can think of it this way. Like a bonus, that's a contract. And by slapping a retroactive tax on that contract, you know, you're effectively changing the contract. And that's that's sort of scary to a lot of businesses. If Congress can do that to these bonus contracts, what else might they do? And this puts pressure on Congress to go the opposite direction and, and sort of suck up to the businesses. And Zingales points to a couple of examples. There's this program some of you may remember. We covered it a bunch here on Planet Money, the PPIP, the Public Private Investment Program, which you may remember had to do with toxic assets and how the government was going to deal with these. And Zingales and a lot of people at the time saw this essentially as the government enticing businesses to invest their money by offering very very sweet terms. Critics said the government covered all the risks and the companies, they got the profits. And, and what I argue is that those two actions that seem exactly at the opposite end logically, in fact, they are very much linked because the moment that you have a populist outrage, then you are not confident that rule of law will be in place and whatever law you're designing is, is meant to stick. And so if you want to motivate 
the, the market to work, if you want to motivate investors to invest, you have to give them some monopoly power, some privileges, some, some favoritism. Now, the irony, of, the, of course, is that this favoritism is going to exacerbate even more the populist outrage. Once you understand the Italian spiral, we'll call it, uh, you see it everywhere in government. So take, for example, something in the news, the Volcker Rule. The Volcker Rule you may have heard about. This is the rule named after that former Fed chairman, Paul Volcker, that says banks that are insured by the government can't speculate for their own profit with their money. They call it proprietary trading. The essential argument is it's not fair if a insured bank is betting for its own account because if they lose the bet, the government pays because it's insured. But if they win, they keep the profits. The problem, according to Zingales, is that this is a textbook case of a law that sounds good to the masses. You know, get rid of speculation by Wall Street. Who wouldn't want that? But in practice, it'll have very little effect. I have the deepest respect for Paul Walker. I think he's a, a fantastic sort of a economist and human being. Uh, I think that the, the rule that he proposed uh, is not enforceable. And, and my fear is that it's been chosen precisely for that reason. Uh, again, trying to strike a balance between the populism and the capture by businessmen. Uh, you, you sort of uh, pick a law, uh, a regulation that pleases the crowd but de facto does not put any restriction on business. Um, and so that's the Volcker rule, you think? The Volcker rule is the perfect answer to both constituencies, the banks and the crowd. Unfortunately, yes. Zingali says that one of the reasons the Volcker rule doesn't work is that it is so complicated. He says the more nuanced a rule becomes, the more it carves out exemptions, the longer the bill gets, even exemptions that seem to make sense, the less effective it becomes. And this is something you hear from economists a lot. If a law is so complicated that an ordinary person can't really understand it, then the only people who read it are people looking for loopholes, people looking to game it, looking to carve out that provision that will give them their own advantage. And these people then will put pressure on lawmakers and regulators to further complicate the bill, to further amend it, to put in even more exemptions and exceptions. But Zingales does have a solution that he says will slow down the Berlusconi spiral, this back and forth between pleasing the businesses and and being a populist government. This spiral only happens if you don't know what the government is promising everyone else, if, if things are too complicated, if you don't know there's a sweetheart deal for the banks and you only find out later. So, he says, make the rules simpler and shorter and more understandable. And he has this example of a law, Glass-Steagall. This was a, one of the landmark laws passed during the Great Depression after the crash of 29. And Glass-Steagall basically divides banks into two categories. There's sort of commercial banks, which is where normal, ordinary people put their money. And then there are the Wall Street banks, the investment banks. And, and Glass-Steagall said, essentially, commercial banks, you can't be as risky as the investment banks. But in the late 1990s, Glass-Steagall went away. And here's the weird thing about Zingales. He was actually in favor of that law going away. Luigi Zingales is a conservative economist. He believes in the free market. He's not someone who advocates excessive regulation. And so when Glass-Steagall went away, he thought, well, you know, that's good. But over the last few years, as he's written this book, Zingales changed his mind. He thought, you know, Glass-Steagall was simple and it did seem to work. And perhaps, perhaps we need more of our rules to be like that. Rules simple enough that even congressmen can understand them. Because it is true, Nancy Pelosi, I think when she passed the uh, uh, health care bill, said, uh, let's pass it to see what is in it. Uh, that's pretty scary. Uh, I think that uh, uh, 
I want sort of uh, rules that are simple enough that uh, there can be a public debate and that uh, um, individuals can pre- pro- um, pressure their congressman to or congresswoman to sort of vote in the way they want uh, because they have an opinion. Uh, I-, I like to repeat that uh, Glass-Steagall was 24 pages. The um, creation of the Federal Reserve, I think, was 13 and Dodd-Frank was 2,400. So uh, the, the, you, you can create important institution in a limited amount of space. I will be in the darkest star of the brightest light. Luigi Zingales' new book is called A Capitalism for the People. Post a link to it and some of his recent op-eds on our blog, npr.org slash money. As always, we're interested in what you thought of the show. Email us planetmoney at npr.org. Check out our blog, npr.org slash money, or find us on Facebook or Twitter. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. Good night.